Hello, 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 and welcome in to the Blake Pace Podcast. I am your host, Blake Pace, and we are finally back. Took a week off, went out on vacation, went out west to California, spent a week out there, had an amazing time. Definitely missed the show. We missed a lot of news in the NFL, too. This is the NFL edition, uh, this week's NFL episode of the Blake Pace Podcast. Uh, For those who maybe have missed the past few episodes, we have switched now to, you know, an NFL episode a week and an NBA episode a week. Uh, Just seems to be the best direction for this show moving forward. But here we are, the uh, NFL episode of the week. We're sitting here July 20th. Happy Friday. Hope we're getting a good early start on the weekend. I know I'm, I'm excited to, uh, you know, kick back and relax this weekend. Uh, I hope you are, but before that, we got a lot of stuff going on in the NFL, so, you know, let's just, you know, ease it in. We'll talk about some of the recent news. Of course, a lot of things uh, picked up in, you know, the past eight days, so we'll get to all of that. Um, We'll have another season preview. Uh, You know, I've been working on this just consistent flow of, you know, breaking down what I'm seeing out of a team for the upcoming season. Today is going to be actually the Jacksonville Jaguars going a little out of line because I really... Uh, took a deep dive into their upcoming season. It's really interesting to me. Um, so we're going to go over that. But yeah, let's let's just break into the news. Um, and this is actually some of the more recent news. This came out last night. Uh, the NFL and the NFLPA announced a joint statement on Thursday that the league and team policies regarding conduct during the playing of the national anthem will not be issued or enforced for several weeks as part of a standstill agreement between the two sides. So Right now, they're in the middle of this discussion. Of course, the NFL handed down, um, in my eyes, a very unfair policy on the anthem. You're allowed to stay in the locker room and as, as your protest, but if you want to come out onto the field for the national anthem, you can do so, but you're not allowed to protest on the field. To me, I understand the compromise of trying to get there, but it kind of seems like you're trying to just you know, wipe what they're protesting for outside of the stadium and I understand that is their goal that's what they want they don't want their you know Sundays to be filled with you know angry fans at the games or on social media complaining about how all of these guys you know are disrespecting the flag the country whatever so yes you do want them off of the field but to me it just feels bad uh it it just has a bad taste on the tip of my tongue that it's just okay we'll let you do your protests but you got to be quiet about it we don't want to see you do it uh, we're not going to let the, you know, the TVs pick it up. It's kind of just silencing the protest, which in my mind, isn't really that fair of a compromise, even though it was the proposed and enforced at the time rule. And what was really interesting is this comes just hours after, uh, you know, a source told Ian Rappaport, um, that the dolphins were going to require quote dolphins players who protest on the field during the national anthem could be suspended for up to four games under a team policy issued this week. Uh, The Associated Press added to that statement that the Dolphins' anthem conduct policy was under a large list of conduct detrimental to the club. Um, You know, this is probably the more outspoken that a franchise has been about this new policy and and their specific team policy um, since the NFL announced that, you know, the teams could be at the discretion of, you know, the finer punishment that their players will receive for, you know, the anthem and stuff like that. Um, this is the first team to really come out there and be like, listen, this is X amount of games, how this player will be suspended if he chooses to uh, disobey this uh, anthem policy protest. Um, if they fail to, you know, stay off the field or come onto the field in, pro- uh, in protest, um, we're going to suspend them for up to four games. 
Now, this is a, a little extreme to me. Um, you know, I am for the players and their rights. I think that they speak on a lot of social uh, injustices that don't get to be presented to the mainstream media often enough. Of course, you've got a lot of people um, on the news reporting from different sides and how they feel. But to me, the NFL is very representative of the nation as a whole and, and, and to black people um, as a whole and to how, you know, you know, the other side lives. You've got these people that have, that have made it in the mainstream media and argue, you know, the rights of this nation and, you know, for, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement against it, you know, they, they, they talk about everything on there, but they don't really get to represent it as well as the NFL does. So, of course, you know, when the NFL has, you know, the platform, these players have a platform to make a change and to stand up for social injustice. Um, I just don't believe that the NFL has the right to interfere with that. Um, I understand from their business uh, it's it's an entity that they have to view it as such but i believe that the you know the time period that we're in specifically that you know this is something the nfl should really just stay quiet about and let the players express what they feel about politics and you know the government uh on the football field another thing that happened uh, and that we kind of missed early in this week um you know the contract extension deadline for those who had been uh franchise tagged to reach uh, long-term deals, of course. Uh, none of them had been um, reached by the Monday deadline at 4 p.m. That was for uh, Le'Veon Bell, uh, Detroit Lions' Ziggy Ansah, uh, the Dallas Cowboys' Demarcus Lawrence, and I believe there was one more, uh, LaMarcus Joyner safety with the Los Angeles Rams. So none of them were able to agree on long-term extensions. Um, the most important one of this group is, of course, Le'Veon Bell, um, not to say that the other three are not in great talents at their position, um, but when you're looking at Le'Veon, there's so much more that goes into it because he plays, you know, in probably the most dangerous and you know the shortest career um, for a star player, and that is running back. Um, of course, you know Le'Veon's um, offer that apparently was on the table was uh, around 15 million a year for three years, I believe, three or four years, um, and of course, you know that makes him by far the highest paid running back. But Le'Veon Bell has a very interesting case to make in terms of contract negotiation. He is a top running back in football. I believe that he is somewhere in the mix of top three. I know a lot of people want to say that he's, you know, the best. Um, you know, he's in that actually four guy range, I'd say, uh, with Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, um, Le'Veon Bell, of course, and also... Uh, David Johnson coming off that injury. Um, so he's up there in that top four. But, and this is the point that Le'Veon makes and, and made with Pittsburgh, is that he is not just a running back. He is a offensive arsenal um, of talent. You know, he, uh, he provides so much in the receiving game. You know, in his five years in the NFL uh, with the Steelers, he has 312 receptions for over 2,600 and 60 yards, uh, of course, to go along with seven touchdowns. That's 42.9 yards a game at the running back position. So yes, he is electric at running back, but he also provides so much as a, uh, as a receiver out of the backfield. And receivers are making, you know, the top end receivers, even Antonio Brown on his team is making more money than Le'Veon. Le'Veon's point is, hey, I do part of his job and I also lead your running back committee. So you know, Le'Veon didn't reach a deal with um, 
with the Steelers, and he came out, and his uh, statement that he made on Twitter, I tweeted this back on July 16th, to all my Steeler fans, my desire always has been to retire a Steeler. Both sides worked extremely hard today to make that happen, but the NFL is a hard business at times. To the fans that had hope, I'm sorry we let you down, but trust me, 2018 will be my best season to date. Um, this is, you know, of, in my opinion, the best response that Le'Veon could have given. He, you know, clearly made it seem that this wasn't just a him not wanting to be part of the Steelers. He showed his, you know, faith to Steelers Nation and to all the fans that have, you know, watched him and loved him as, as a Steeler through his short career there. Um, he shows you in that statement, at least, and I hope he does because he shows it to me that he does want to be a Steeler. He also explains, listen, you're not in my position. This is a business that you guys do not understand at this time and point in your lives. Um, if you were in my shoes, I feel like you would understand it more. We tried. We tried extremely hard to meet on the same page, but it's a business. We couldn't get it done. That was a great, honest, open answer from Le'Veon Bell. I don't think he could have made you know a better statement than that to the Steelers because you know also ending it with 2018 will be my best year to date that is amazing for Steeler fans you know that that should be the thing that's like okay he's gonna play this year um at least we're gonna get you know a last great year out of Bell at, you know right towards the end of Ben Roethlisberger's time maybe this can be the year that we push through to that Super Bowl so even if Bell does end up leaving he gave it all he got and he brought uh you know a Super Bowl championship to Pittsburgh so you know for fans of course, losing Le'Veon Bell is very detrimental to your team. Um, just, you know, a quick thought on Pittsburgh. It seems a little shifty to me. I don't have much confidence in any of the quarterbacks that have been selected in the future. So, you know, when Big Ben does decide to step away from the game, it's going to be interesting to see how the team develops, especially if you also don't have Le'Veon Bell. Um, you know, I would have loved to see Le'Veon Bell stay a Steeler. I don't believe it's going to happen at the end of the day. Um, even if he does, you know, make 2018 his best year to date, I think, you know, the bridge has been broken at this point. Um, the bridge has been burned and, you know, the Steelers can't, you know, I don't, I don't think that they'll budge on how much they'll offer Le'Veon. And I don't think Le'Veon will take less than what he expects as this uh, offensive juggernaut. So whenever a player, um, you know, is looking for better money, I always, you know, am for them to sit out uh, because I believe there's so much that can go wrong before your next contract that I, you know, don't think it's worth the risk. I say I would go to an NFL team and say, look at what I've done the last five years. If I'm Le'Veon Bell, uh, those numbers are what I'm going to be for the next X amount of years. I'm going to sit out this year. I do not want to risk injury. My career could end. We saw this with Odell last year. You know, he still has yet to sign an extension with the New York Giants. But, you know, he missed all of last season to an ankle injury, something that could have been avoided if he realized his situation sat out and instead, you know, the Giants can use that against him. Well, you know, not sure if that ankle's healthy yet. You know, we don't want to give you this top money until we see it from you again. So now Odell's kind of forced to go out there and perform again where, you know, another freak injury, a freak accident like the first one could put him out of a job. Um, so, you know, in most cases, I'm always for the player sitting out. But for Le'Veon, I'm also kind of in the motion, uh, in, in the mindset that he needs to play out this final season with Pittsburgh um, and it, it's kind of like what we saw last year in Washington. Kirk Cousins last season uh, was in the same situation as Le'Veon Bell is in now. He had been franchise tagged multiple times, couldn't reach an extension, um, and kind of just had to play out his last season to kind of earn his next contract. Um, you know, while the you know Redskins did go seven and nine, 
Uh, Kirk Cousins still had, you know, about an average season as to what we've seen since 2012. Um, 64% completion percentage, over 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, uh, 13 interceptions, which was a career high. Um, you know, about 255 yards a game, an average season. He, you know, he went out there, proved that, you know, okay, this is Kirk Cousins. We've seen it for the, what, one, two, three, the, for the sixth year now. Um, this is the guy. He proved it. Now he's a free agent. He can go wherever he wants, and teams can offer something unique to bring him in. And what does Minnesota do? They make him the first ever fully guaranteed, you know, max money contract, three years, $90 million guaranteed, an unprecedented contract in the NFL. And as we've said, you know, players have come out recently and spoken about wanting guaranteed deals. They look at the MLB, the NBA. How do these guys, you know, the the seventh best player on the team be making $15 million a year where, you know, not even Le'Veon Bell can get that, um, you know, in initial you know, conversations as of the premier running back in football. So, you know, Kirk Cousins went out there, got that deal, and, you know, is potentially starting a whole new wave of NFL contracts. Um, you know, like I've also mentioned, the NFL is really getting close to facing this lockout in 2021 where the players are going to have some power underneath them and can say, we want these, you know, <clears throat> max contracts. We deserve more money. We deserve guaranteed contracts. Le'Veon Bell can be another great example for the NFL, just like Kirk Cousins, if this if he plays next season. Because, you know, in my beliefs, I don't see Le'Veon Bell really losing much of a step next season. He's still only, what, 26, I believe. He's around that age, should be entering what, you know, the final, you know, couple years of his prime. He can go in there, ball out for the Steelers, be part of a winning organization, get far in the playoffs, as I expect they will, and then he's going to hit the open market. And, you know, I can't think of the last time that, you know, a marquee guy who, you know, has a pretty clean injury history um, got, you know, just max money. You could see, you know, he could break that wide receiver money, get into the 17, 18 millions. Um, and then he can be that next example when it comes 2021. You look at, okay, Kirk Cousins. He balled out. He, you know, he got that fully guaranteed contract, played it out amazing. Le'Veon Bellswell got paid, got all that money, and still performed to a high level. We can, you know, be given money without the idea that we're just going to fall off the face of the earth afterwards once we've got all that guaranteed money. So, you know, the next few seasons are extremely, the, the entire NFL, all their players are going to be looking at two people more specifically. Kirk Cousins, because he's got the first ever fully guaranteed contract for, you know, a top-end quarterback. And Le'Veon Bell, because if he makes an absurd amount of money in the open market next year after a good season in Pittsburgh and then has, you know, two more great seasons, the NFLPA can go into this lockout in 2021 and say, listen, the few chances that you've given us at fully guaranteed deals or this massive amount of money, they have worked. We are deserving of this. We don't need to be underpaid or undercompensated like we are compared to the NBA and MLB. Let's work something out. Let's get back on a football field and let's get some good contracts finally into the NFL. Let's get paid when we can. Um, so I'm going to be rooting for both of these guys extremely um, the next few years. I hope that, you know, you know, we could even see them in the Super Bowl this year. They definitely have some of the better teams in football. Um, you know, definitely be rooting for Kirk Cousins and Le'Veon Bell just like the entire uh, you know, body of the NFL 
will be over the next few years. Another little bit of news that is, uh, you know, semi, you know, relative to what we were just talking about. Um, Julio Jones is, you know, has been talked about for the past, you know, months or so. He has been unhappy with his current contract. And, you know, in my mind, you look at Matt Ryan, who's making twice as much as Julio Jones. Of course, Julio Jones feels like he benefits Matt Ryan more than Matt Ryan benefits Julio Jones. So why can't Julio Jones be making closer to what Matt Ryan earns than compared to what these other wide receivers make? Um, something that, you know, in Julio Jones' case, as one of the top all-time great wide receivers, easily a top three receiver in the league right now, um, that makes, you know, total sense to him. Of course, uh, NFL teams historically have always placed more importance on the quarterback. Of course, it also does, you know, drive, you know, franchises more. You know, winning teams usually have franchise quarterbacks. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, the, the NFL management owner side of it. Um, but you know, these wide receivers probably look at, you know, their quarterback play and say, Oh, this guy just had a, a bad season. Yeah. I still helped him ball that ball out. And we got into the playoffs. Uh, he's going to be making all this money. No fine, you know, problem over 30 million. And I got to sit here and deal with, you know, almost under half of what he makes. Um, you know, that, that's not fair to certain skill position players. I understand it. You know, I never think, I don't think that Julio Jones will ever be able to, you know, push it far enough to get quarterback type money. But, um, you know, recent reports came out that the Falcons have made a promise to Julio Jones to talk about contract restructuring after next season. Um, it was reported on NFL.com. The Falcons are not planning to renegotiate the all pros, renegotiate the all pros receivers contract with three years left on the deal. Um, it has been rumored since then that uh, Julio Jones was maybe thinking about sitting out of the training camp. He did show up um, earlier for Matt Ryan's passing camp, which you know is a good sign, I guess, if you're hoping to get him back onto training camp as well um, later this you know upcoming week. But you know, I, I saw this and I was like, okay, you know they're gonna let him play out another year. He's still gonna ball. They have a great offense, a ton of weapons. Uh, you know, it, it'll go fine for Julio Jones. Um, but then I got to thinking about just why the Falcons are waiting until after this upcoming season specifically to renegotiate uh, Julio Jones' contract. So Julio Jones is coming off another great season, um, you know, another, you know, 1,400-yard-plus year, which we've gotten since the 2014 season, four straight seasons with at least 1,400 yards. Um, but this was... You know, he did see a little bit um, of a drop in some of the other numbers. He did, you know, average 90 uh, receiving yards a game, but comparatively to the two years before, that was at 117 back in 2015, 1216, 90 in 2017. The numbers are decreasing just as well as the catching percentage numbers are. In 2015, it was um, 67%. 2016, 64.3, and then last year was 59.5, his lowest catch percentage since his rookie year in 2011. So we've seen some of his numbers decrease a little. He's still, you know, putting out some amazing numbers, but, you know, in negotiations, you can bring it and see, oh, well, see, you've been on a decline since 2015. So that's one thing I'm looking at. Um, another thing I'm looking at is that the Falcons offense is being run by Steve Sarkeesian right now, who, in my mind, not the best offensive coordinator in football, definitely definitely a step down from Kyle Shanahan, but to that same example, that can also be the reason 
that they also are waiting until the end of next year to see, you know, to look back on this deal and renegotiate with Julio because this is uh, Steve Sarkeesian's second season. Um, and the two years before that, the Falcons had Kyle Shanahan and where, you know, Julio Jones combined for 3,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, and 109 yards a game um, with Kyle Shanahan. Of course, it all drops to, uh, you know, a little bit lower than normal with Steve Sarkeesian. But in year two of that same offensive scheme, if it stays that low and doesn't, you know, get better and it, maybe it even gets worse, that's another thing that, you know, ownership and management can go in there and say, well, look, you haven't been as, you know, good the last two years, you're getting older, and since we've switched offensive schemes, your numbers have been down. But then there's one thing that pisses me off the most about the way that the Falcons, I'm already seeing into the future how they're going to approach this, and it's because of what they did in the first round of the NFL draft. You're right, that is the one where they selected a wide receiver, Calvin Ridley out of Alabama, same school Julio Jones went to. You know, many people considered him the number one wide receiver of this class. I had him around, I had him top three. I didn't have him at number one or two. I thought he was the third best in this class behind both DJ Moore and DJ Chark. Um, But nevertheless, he was selected in the first round by the Falcons. And what this does is it just adds another potentially elite weapon to an already high-octane offense. Um, So, you know, Matt Ryan has, you know, not just, you know, Taylor Gabriel or Muhammad Sanu. He has another guy that has, you know, potential to be a top receiver in football. So if he goes out there next season in his rookie year and tears it up for Atlanta, the the Falcons can just go to Julio and say, well, listen, you're getting older. Your numbers have dropped down as you've aged. They've also dropped since the switch in offensive scheme. Plus, we got this young guy first year out of Alabama. He tore it up on the field for us. We're not really sure if we want to give you, you know, the money that you deserve. And, you know, for the past few years, Julio Jones, you know, while getting paid a decent amount, is still being underpaid for the wide receiver position. If you look on, uh, you know, over the cap or any, you know, great website out there that gives you all this contract value, um, Julio Jones has the eighth highest average salary a year. The highest, Antonio Brown, $17 million a year. Right behind him, Mike Evans, 16.5. DeAndre Hopkins, 16.2. Sammy Watkins at 16. Got that this past offseason. Also got a contract this past offseason. even Jarvis Landry at 15.1, AJ Green at 15, Devontae Adams at 14.5, and Julio Jones behind all of them at 14 million and a quarter. So severely underpaid when you consider that he is, you know, right up there with Antonio Brown, better than Mike Evans, better than DeAndre Hopkins. And definitely better than Sammy Watkins, A.J. Green, Jarvis Landry, and certainly better than Devontae Adams. And he's getting paid less than all of them. And now, because all of this is happening recently with the Falcons, new offensive scheme, Julio's numbers drop. You know, draft wide receiver Calvin Ridley, numbers will probably drop because you've got another number one option on the outside. You know, age, oh, he's getting older. He's one of our older receivers now. You know, his numbers have dropped since he's gotten older. They can hold this all against him. It's just like if the Giants wanted to hold, like I mentioned earlier, if the Giants wanted to go in and hold Odell's ankle injury against him, they can do that and say, we are not going to give you this money. And the worst part about Julio Jones' situation, he's not a free agent until 2021. He is being this severely underpaid and still has three years left on his contract. So, you know, we could be running into another situation where Julio just, you know, maybe sits out a full season or God forbid retires early. We've seen it happen before. 
Julio Jones is in probably one of the scariest positions because he has no power, isn't a free agent until 2021, and is just going to lose out on a ton of money because by the time he is that he is a free agent or the time that Atlanta, you know, is ready to, you know, extend their contract or relook at the deal, renegotiate his production is going to have dropped and he's going to miss out on all the money for all the stuff that he has provided. Let's just take a look at that 2016 season. Excuse me, I meant 2015 season. 136 receptions, 1,871 yards, 117 yards a game, and a 67% catch, catch radius. That is unbelievable numbers. He got over 200 targets that year. And now they dropped, and they dropped, and they dropped, and he's getting older. He's 28. He's actually 29 right now. Oh, man, he's getting into that later part, later stages of his career. Is he a top three, four guy? Well, you know, we got him on, you know, under contract until 2021. We don't really need to renegotiate. And, oh, if he chooses to, you know, sit out, it's okay. We've got a ton of offensive weapons, a great running back duo. We just drafted a, a wide receiver in the first round. We've still got some guys on the outside that can fill in and kind of do whatever, you know, we need to do to, you know, put out a winning football team. And now Julio's just going to get screwed. And he's the latest uh, on a long list of NFL players to get screwed by management. And, it, you know, it speaks even more to what I was saying earlier about, you know, the next few years, you know, really depending on Kirk Cousins and Le'Veon Belford, the future of the NFL, um, you know, it, we're heading into a whirlwind of a situation. But these guys can severely help out guys like Julio, where Julio can say, no, I am severely underpaid. What I have done is, you know, I have proved I am more valuable than any, you know, amount of money that I am making right now. You know, let's renegotiate. Let's put some money on the table. Let's, you know, let me get paid for what I bring to this organization. Last bit of news, um, and you know, this one is near and dear to my heart, some sad news. Um, Seven-time Pro Bowl cornerback Darrell Revis announced his retirement this past Wednesday. Uh, he came out on Twitter and said, For the past 11 years, it has truly been an honor to showcase one of my greatest gifts to the world. Today I am closing a chapter in my life that I once dreamed of as a kid, and I am officially retiring from the National Football League. He goes on to say, the, the game of football has opened doors for me once I thought were nearly impossible to get through. My passion to play the game at an elite level brought fun and excitement to the term shutdown corner, which was nearly on the verge of extinction. Um, you know, I'm excited as to what lies ahead as I pursue new ventures in different industries. Long live Revis Island. Darrell Revis, um, undoubtedly, you know, one of the greater players of, you know, kind of my generation of football um, that I've gotten, you know, to watch, to actually meet. Um, the, the Jets spent a number of years uh, doing their training camp up in uh, at SUNY Cortland in my hometown. So I've gotten to meet a bunch of Jets players, um, you know, take pictures, get autographs, stuff like that. I had the pleasure of meeting Darrell Revis, um, you know, definitely an amazing talent. You know, Revis Island, it definitely, you know, it, it, it truly was an island. No one could break through Darrell Revis. Like we said, you know, seven pro bowlers, or seven pro bowls, four-time all-pro corner, a Super Bowl champion. Um, let's see. <clears throat> In his career, he had 29 interceptions, uh, three returned for a touchdown, including a 100-yard uh, pick six. Back in 2011 for the Jets, uh, he also, you know, forced four fumbles, um, had 411 tackles. 
And then just specifically with the Jets in eight years there, because of course that's what we all know and love him for his days um, in New York, 108 games, 25 interceptions, uh, all three of his touchdown returns were there as well, and 314 tackles. Um, and you know, actually, this was a, a great moment because after the uh, the retirement announcement from Darrell Reeves, I got my first question for the show. Um, so I want to give a shout out to uh, ButtFumble24, um, who sent in this comment to me on Twitter, actually. And he said, uh, with the retirement of Darrell Revis, where does he stand in terms of all-time great cornerbacks? Um, and, you know, this is something that I think, you know, is tough for me to say because I am, um, you know, 20 years old. I've been watching the football, the, the world, you know, the NFL for, I'd say, you know, 15 years as a casual fan, and I'd say, you know, more close to 8 to 10 years as a dedicated fan. Um, so, you know, from what I've seen from Darrell Rivas, he is truly the greatest cornerback I have ever gotten to watch. Now, of course, I am not saying that he is better than Deion Sanders, who I believe just out of, you know, respect and what, you know, the highlights that I've seen, you know, two-time champ, eight-time pro bowler, first team all-pro six different times, He's clearly the number one uh, cornerback. I also have to think of Mike Haynes, who uh, spent time with the Patriots um, and the Raiders. Nine-time Pro Bowler, uh, first-team All-Pro twice, 46 career interceptions, um, also a Hall of Fame guy. You know, Charles Woodson is another guy. That's kind of where I'm putting Charles Woodson or Darrell Revis in. Um, in that three to five range. Of course, you also have to consider Rod Woodson, uh, who spent you know time. <clears throat> In the uh, late 80s and 90s, of course, he stayed in Oakland um, towards the end of his career in the early 2000s. 11 Pro Bowls, um, six-time first-team All-Pro, 71 career interceptions. Um, he's also a Hall of Famer. So, you know, I think truly that Darrell Revis is in the top five of cornerbacks all time. To me, he's the most talented cornerback to ever play the game of football that I have seen. I did not get to watch these guys on um, these all-time greats, so unfortunately, I lose a little um, validity when it comes to discussing, you know, where guys rank at all time. But I will say, as the trend continues and as we get, you know, progress further into the, you know, the life of the NFL, athletes are quicker, faster, stronger, you know, just better athletes. Um, you know, they diet well. They, you know, aren't, you know, smoking cigars after each game and drinking, getting drunk all night. Um, you know, they are doing, you know, better jobs, maintaining their body, making better life decisions. Um, so, you know, to me, Darrell Revis has to be in that consideration for top five all time, just because of his athletic ability. Um, and of course what he has done, you know, he was really, you know, like he said, you know, the, the term shutdown corner really took a break in those, um, what was it? Early two thousands. And then he came along and, uh, you know, <clears throat> brought back that wave of shutdown corners, you know, guys that we even look in the league now, um, you know, my favorite guy, Jalen Ramsey and Marshawn Lattimore, some of these freak athletes, you know, in their young days, remind me or, you know, show me, you know, kind of what I saw from Darrell Revis in his prime, really just, you know, no one was going to get past him, he wasn't going to let you get anything, you had to earn your yards if you were even going to get them, um, to me, He's in that three to five range of all time. I just out of respect for these guys and the fact that I didn't get to watch them. Deion Sanders and Mike Haynes are in that top two. But, you know, Rod Woodson, 
Charles Woodson, another guy that we also got to watch. Um, you know, I got to watch for, you know, the the early parts of my NFL fandom. Um, you know, he to me is in that range of top t- top five all time, but is undoubtedly the most talented cornerback I have ever got to watch play the game of football. Um, you know, a congratulations to him on an illustrious career. Um, of course, you know, it, it dipped down a little after, you know, his uh, early days with the Patriots, you know, his one season with the Pats, went back to the Jets in 2015-2016, um, played in five games for the Chiefs last year, but only had, you know, two pass deflections, zero interceptions. It really just was the time for him to hang it up at, you know, the age of 33. I'm glad that he did it. Um an amazing career. Hats off to Darrell Rivas. Definitely a top five cornerback of all time. Another little piece uh, to look, you know, out for, um, you know, just to you know watch as the next few weeks progress. Uh, Chicago Bears first round pick Roquan Smith um, has not reported to the team for training camp. Uh, Bears general manager Ryan Pace, uh, no relation, said we are optimistic he's here soon. Um, you know, there were details in the contract that were holding up. Smith from reporting. He, of course, was the eighth overall pick. Um, my guy that I said, you, you know, can be, you know, I, I I can't say that he is going to be as great as Brian Erlacher ever is, but he brings that potential that the middle of the defense hasn't had since Erlacher left. Um, I think that he is going to have a great career in Chicago. Hopefully they can get the contract up. And I was thinking, you know, if there was an angle from this where from a player's perspective, they can be mad you know, at these rookies, you know, we saw it with Joey Bosa previously, a few other rookies have done it in their past, not reporting until, you know, the fine details of the contract are worked out. Um, And, you know, I think that while, you know, there's that rookie hazing, uh, you need to earn your stripes in this locker room, stuff like that. When it comes to money and finances, I think NFL players get it. Um, You know, I think that other guys in the locker room who, you know, may be fighting for, you know, their own contract in the next year or in the middle of fighting for an extension now, they'll look at Roquan Smith, whatever details it is in the contract, they'll probably, you know, oh, this is a business decision. He is not doing this because he's, you know, you know, unhappy with the team or the organization. He just needs to, you know, get this money figured out. We all have to get our money figured out. Um, But it would be interesting to see if he got there a little bit late was a little slow to start camp and you know some of these guys are looking around because I I expect the Bears to be this team that is on the rise Um, I project that their offense is going to look a lot better Um, you know I think that the front seven is nice I like their two corners they really to me have a complete team of young guys that are ready to start making you know a rise um, into you know challenging the NFC over the next few years it'll be interesting if some of the veterans on this team are like hey Rook We're a few weeks into training camp now. We're getting into the preseason. You're not at the level that we need yet, and it's really hurting our team. Um, You know, what? You know, this will all come back to the fact that he, you know, didn't, you know, show up the first week to training camp. Didn't get going um, right away because of that. So hopefully, uh, you know, Roquan Smith can get this settled out with Chicago. Of course, they both want to be there. Roquan Smith, eight overall pick. The Chicago Bears, their first round pick, um, you know, their their future at middle linebacker to me um, for, you know, you know, the next, you know, coming, you know, five to eight years at least. Um, hopefully they can work things out so we can get on the field soon and get working in that Bears jersey. So now we're going to work our way to uh, the, you know, season previews. Um, of course, if you go back over the, you know, 
last X amount of episodes. I've been taking it, you know, one team at a time, previewing the upcoming season. Um, actually, I, I just made, you know, a, a decision. Since I am, you know, recording one NFL show a week, I'm going to get things moving up. We're actually going to preview two teams this episode. That is going to be the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Indianapolis Colts, both of the uh, the AFC South. Of, co- of course, the Jags were, uh, you know, if you've listened to me on, you know, the Gold to Go podcast or anywhere else before, the Jags were my absolute favorite team to watch last year. Um, the Colts, of course, are my favorite team in football. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a mix of expectations, you know, depending on Andrew Luck. But we're going to start with the Jaguars, um, you know, coming off of their best season since 2007. They uh, won the AFC South, went 10-6. and six. They had the number one rushing offense in the league, the top pass defense, um, but struggled in other areas. They were in the bottom half of the league in passing yards per game and rush defense as well. Um you know, starting off with what I love about the Jaguars, it starts, it's all about the defense. Um, if you, you know, want to go even, you know, just start in the secondary, Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye are, you know, to me, the best cornerback duo in football. Jalen Ramsey, to me, is already currently the best, if not top three cornerback in the league. A.J. Bouye, to me, is also a top six guy. Um, they're the best duo in the league. They did lose um, slot corner Aaron Colvin, who was tremendous last year. He came over from Houston, um, but they did bring in DJ Hayden from Detroit. Probably the likely replacement. He's, you know, a little bit older, but still a guy that can get it done. Uh, You know, the safety position I'm okay with for now. Barry Church is getting a little bit older, um, but they did draft Ronnie Harrison out of Alabama. And, you know, maybe, you know, he can be that replacement to Barry as the year goes on, or maybe even in the next few seasons. The secondary is just fine. They have, you know, an aggressive cornerback duo, uh, more than capable safety play. And a nice rookie that I actually liked, uh, Ronnie Harrison to me was, you know, my number three safety in the draft class. Um, And then you go to the front seven, it, it, you know, stays at least the same um, in terms of talent. You know, they had uh, 55 team sacks, which was second in the NFL. Um, You know, the only thing, like I mentioned, they were in uh, the bottom half of rush defense um, in the, in the NFL Marcel Darius um, and Malik Jackson are really in there as the run stuffers. Marcel Darius came later into the year, and I believe that the rushing defense improved when he came. So hopefully with a full season there, um, they can really you know stuff up the middle in the run game. They also drafted uh, in the first round defensive lineman Taven Bryan, who you know was a late you know guy that I really liked into the draft process. I think he can you know work wonders in the middle of the Jacksonville defense in that rotation. You know it takes. Um, you know, in, he, he can be all on the defensive line as well. He can be, you know, defensive end. Um, he can, you know, be rotation in the middle. Uh, but then on the, you know, the outsides, you've got <clears throat> Calais Campbell. This is uh, at, at uh, defensive end. Calais Campbell, who, you know, is, I believe, turning 32, but still had an amazing season, was one of the better, the better defensive players in football last year in his first year with the Jags, is, you know, above the age of 30. But, you know, even if he did take another step back, I still think he's in the better half or, you know, of starting defensive ends. Um, of course, on the opposite side, a guy to extremely to be extremely excited about, Yannick Ngakwe had 12 sacks last year. He's only 23 years old. I expect him to improve even more. And like I said, Taven Bryan will be a rotation guy um, either on the edge or in the middle. He's huge, but he's also quick. Um, you know, he could be, you know, even more of a threat with this Jacksonville defense. Um, looking at linebackers, they did lose Paul Puzlunski to retirement. He was getting older. He was getting banged up. 
I'm okay with seeing him move on. It's really not that big of a loss to me. Um, you know, Telvin Smith was, I think, believe, ranked top five as a linebacker by Pro Football Focus. And Miles Jack, he came on late into the season. You saw it in the playoffs especially is looking like a freak athlete at the position and maybe, you know, can have a breakout year this upcoming season. I would project him to do so. Um, you know, the Jags defense is what carries this team. And, you know, if anything, they got better through the draft. Um, they did lose a good slot corner. They lost their middle linebacker, a guy that had been there for a while. But their defense is, in my opinion, still number one in the league and should contribute to a lot of their wins this season. Um, on the other side... You know, I've said it multiple times and, you know, it, it sucks. That It's the one thing to suck about, you know, watching this Jags team is to watch how terrible um, Blake Bortles operates in, you know, an NFL offense. He misses routine routes. He's a terrible decision maker. He's a, he's a freak athlete. You know, he's got a good body. Um, throwing motion is off. You know, it just doesn't seem to have worked out for the former third overall pick. And to me, this is a make or break year for Blake Bortles. Um, you know, second year in the offensive system that uh, was brought over in this new regime. Hopefully he can get it right. Hopefully he's put in a lot of work this offseason um, because he really is the one thing that I believe is holding this team back from Super Bowl victories, you know, almost every season. To me, this is, you know, if not the best roster in football, top two up there, you know, you got to consider um, Minnesota. You also got to think, you know, maybe New Orleans, but they have a few more holes that I don't think Jacksonville does. So Jacksonville is a top two roster in football. Um, the only thing that's really holding them back is Blake Bortles and his inability to be trusted as a franchise quarterback. Um, another thing I'm kind of worried about in the offense, Leonard Fournette. He came off a thousand yard season in his rookie year, nine touchdowns. Um, <clears throat> and th this has been a concern about Fournette to me since his college days. He has been used, he's been overused his entire career. At LSU, he was ran to death, he had some injuries, and then also in his rookie season, because there was no way to work on the pass game, they had to be the number one rush offense in football to, you know, sustain success on the offense, so the defense wasn't, you know, pulling even more weight, and, you know, he had a great start to the season. He averaged 4.5, 8 yards a carry in the first six games of the year, but in the final seven games he played in in the regular season, it dropped significantly to 3.22. Um, you know, it's not... It, it, I'd say the Jags have about a league average offensive line. Leonard Fournette is definitely, you know, one of the better running backs in football. A young guy that I really like. But if they need to rely on him so much that it's going to hurt him like this again next season, I expect an even worse decline from what we saw last season. Also, you lose Chris Ivory... Um, who is, you know, another rotational guy. He's still got TJ Eldon, but still Chris Ivory could, you know, take some off in the running game, take some time off of Leonard Fournette's feet and legs. Um, I'm a little skeptical about his season next year, um, but hopefully, you know, they can find a way to not have to use him so much and work him into the ground. The only other thing that I really liked what Jacksonville did this past offseason was the work they put into their receiving core. And yes, that, that includes, you know, moving on from Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, and Mercedes Lewis at tight end. Um, I thought what they did in return was, you know, a pretty solid move moving forward for the receiving core because I'm a big fan of these young receivers in Jacksonville. Keenan Cole, I was a big fan. I came, you know, had, I think over the last five or six games last season, led the league in receiving yards. Um, they also have DD Westbrook, a young guy that I really like. They also drafted my favorite, uh, wide receiver last season. 
in uh, DJ Chark. So, you know, I, 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 he was my number one guy. I have high hopes for him in his rookie season. I also, they bring in Dante Moncrief, who to me is, you know, a low risk, high potential signing. He has shown <clears throat> that he can, you know, produce well with good quarterback play, good offensive scheming. Um, you know, to me, it was, let's flush out the old on offense and let's bring in this new wave of young receivers, some guys that definitely have potential, um, you know, and, and of course you still have, uh, Marquise Lee, who, you know, is a little hot and cold, but I still believe can be relied on as, you know, uh, you know, their number one or number two receiver. Um, so, you know, looking at the giant landscape of things, Jacksonville has the best defense in football. I like the wide receiver weapons. They also, you know, added Niles Paul and Austin Severian Jenkins at tight end. I think that is, you know, great for losing, you know, replacing Mercedes Lewis with the two of them. <clears throat> I'm a little worried about the running game and how reliant they have to be on, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Leonard Fournette. And of course, Blake Bortles is probably the biggest detriment to a football team in this entire league. Um, so, you know, I still see them winning the AFC South. Um, I've seen, you know, I saw earlier this week that Colin Coward picked them to finish either last or third in the division behind Houston and Indianapolis. They're the best team in this division, undoubtedly. Yes, the other three teams have franchise quarterbacks and the Jacks have Blake Bortles, but you know, it's 22 guys, um, you know, 11 on a field at a time. They definitely have the best, you know, the most complete roster. I don't think it's going to, you know, be a lot of wins. I, you know, I do expect the division to be tight, um, if, you know, I'm putting, you know, my money on a record, I'm going to say it's in that 9-7, to seven, maybe 10-6. and six. Maybe they repeat 10-6 and six like they did last year. Um, <clears throat> but I expect them to finish with a winning uh, a winning record, win the AFC South. But I do, you know, expect them to be an early exit from the postseason. Um, just because I can't trust Blake Bortles in a postseason environment. He almost got eliminated by the Bills in uh, the opening matchup of last year's playoffs. If it's a team like the Colts, or, you know, the Texans that are playing against them in the playoffs, and it's Andrew Luck versus Bortles, or Deshaun Watson versus Blake Bortles, I'm going to take those guys in a one-game <clears throat> scenario. So, you know, I expect them to win the division, but probably an early exit round. Definitely a good season when you have Blake Bortles as your quarterback, but definitely, uh, you know, less than they should expect with the roster on their team. I think it'll be a kind of a letdown of a season, even though they'll win the division. And last but not least, we're going to kick it to Indianapolis for my season preview uh, for the upcoming year for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, my team, you know, a big Colts fan. Um, and it's been a really interesting offseason. Uh, of course, it was an interesting year when it was rumored, you know, if Andrew Luck was going to make a return. In my opinion, Chris Ballard knew this entire time Luck would sit out the full year. Um, he missed the full season. They end up with a third pick in the draft through that massive trade with the Jets. In my opinion, they had one of the better drafts. It, it, and this is an unbiased opinion. With all the amount of picks that they had, the guys that they took, the athletes, um, I thought that they had one of the better drafts in the NFL. Uh, hopefully they'll try and improve on a 4-12 and record and finishing last in the AFC South. And a lot of that could rely on the potential return of Andrew Luck, who we have not seen play a full season since 2014. And, you know, when we started with this Jags preview, I talked about the defense and how amazing it was. And this was, you know, the unit that was going to lead them to victory. That is not uh, the same case with the Indianapolis Colts. I still believe... You know, when season starts tomorrow, the Colts have a bottom five defense in the NFL. Um, their best corner from 2017, Rashawn Melvin, left for Oakland. Um, Quincy Wilson, you know, seems to be the the number one corner on the team. He came on late into the season, but, um, you know, I'm not sure what to expect out of him next year. 
it's kind of sketchy. And then the other side, you know, you're looking at a guy like Kenny Moore, Pierre Desir, Kenneth Acker. Um, you know, cornerback-wise, there is nothing to be excited about. This team is not going to, you know, lead in, you know, pass deflections or, you know, pass defense for sure. It'll probably be at the bottom bottom end. Um, safety, you know, hopefully we get a Malik Hooker back to start the season. Um, he shown early signs of brilliance uh, in 2017 before, you know, tearing his ACL in late October. Um, he is projected to start next to Matthias Farley at safety. Uh, you know, I believe that's a league average safety duo if Hooker returns healthy and maybe even expands a little more um, in his second year. But of course, you know, they're going to have to make up for a lot of the work that probably one of the league's worst cornerback duos will bring out. Uh, the front seven isn't much better. They're, you know, to me, extremely thin in the front seven. Um, new offensive scheme uh, under <clears throat> now defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus. Uh, they had to, they got rid of Jonathan Hankins, uh, Barkevius Mingo, John Bostic, um, bringing in instead Danico Autry, Najee Good, um, and then they drafted Darius Leonard, Kamoko Ture, and Taekwon Lewis, um, you know, to kind of add depth which is extremely necessary in the front seven. Uh, the only guy that really excites me as a, you know, a, a surefire good quality starter for next season on the defensive line is Jabal Sheard. He had a great season last year, and um, now we're transitioning from, you know, the three forward back to a four three that Jabal Sheard has experience in. I expect him to, you know, even, you know, continue to build off of what happened last year. Um <clears throat> Kamoko Ture is a guy that I'm excited for as a prospect. He's not a guy that I am projecting will go out there opposite Jabal Sheard and have, you know, a stellar impact on the edge from day one. He is a freak athlete. He is freaky fast, um, and I think he can grow into a, a really great talent, just not right away. Um, in the middle of the defense, I guess Al Hoods and Hassan Ridgeway, um, they're nothing special. Definitely also the bottom half or, you know, bottom third even of, you know, defensive, interior defensive linemen. Um, but in a rebuilding defense, I think the Colts are trying to just take it one day at a time and get what they can when they can um, and not really overspend on guys. And then, you know, probably their most thin position other than corner is linebacker. Um, the only guy that really stands out with decent value to me is John Simon, who was returning off a good year last year. Antonio Morrison uh, was ranked 83rd. As the 83rd linebacker by Pro Football Focus, but will probably start next year, uh, given the lack of depth at the position. Um, you know, the rookie that excites me as having potential later on is uh, Darius Leonard. Um, you know, athleticism and just the potential that are there uh, are going to be really exciting to watch develop next season. Um, so, you know, defense really not good. You know, it's kind of the flip of what we looked at with Jacksonville. Great defense. Um, and offense, the, you know, Colts have a bad defense and I guess an above average offense. It didn't used to be that way. I'm going to get into why I think that it is. And of course it all centers around Andrew Luck. Um, if he returns, you know, you're getting a guy that has a 16 game average of 4,361 yards, 30 touchdowns. The interceptions have always been high with Luck. It's about 16 a year that you get on average from him. <clears throat> Um, and you know, he has a career, uh, 60% completion percentage. So you're getting a guy that is, you know, he's led shaky rosters and poor coaching to the playoffs before, you know, it was just a few years back that they were in the AFC championship. Of course they got destroyed by the Patriots. My little brother loves to remind me about that way too often. Um, but with luck back, 
And with an offensive mind in Frank Reich, a new head coach for the Colts, you know, he'd been working with Chuck Pagano, who's a defensive guy the last few years. Now he gets Frank Reich, one of the more progressive offensive guys you saw with Philadelphia, all that they did last year. Um, if Luck is healthy, if he's 80% healthy, I think that this team can <clears throat> certainly make a push later in the season. I'll get to the rest of the reasons why, and I'll project his the, how the season plays out at the end. But this team just instantly has much higher value when Andrew Luck is under center for the Colts. Aside from Andrew Luck returning, probably the biggest improvement for the Colts was on the offensive line. You know, we've had to deal with Luck being, you know, consistently under pressure and getting hurt because of one of probably the worst offensive lines in football. Um, but they actually made some decent moves into becoming, you know, at least a, you know, quality starting offensive line in football. And it all started in the draft. Sixth overall pick, Quinton Nelson, uh, the highest rated guard since all pro talent Zach Martin was selected. Um, to me, this is a guy that instantly steps in as one of the better guards in football. Um, you know, him along with Anthony Costanzo, who I believe is really the um, the only quality offensive lineman that the Colts have had over the last few years um, at left tackle. Quinton Nelson at left guard is really doing a good job protecting Luck's blind side. Um, at center, Ryan Kelly had you know was banged up last season, um, but has shown potentials. You know, another former first round pick of you know. <clears throat> being a day, uh, you know, a, a, an everyday starter. And then you're really starting to fortify, you know, the left half of that offensive line is already, you know, high potential guys, guys who have quality talent. Another guy that I think was a good addition for the Colts, they brought in Matt Slauson, um, who's played, you know, as a center and guard before. I think he can fill in at center if Kelly isn't healthy, but I also think that, you know, it wouldn't be that shocking to see him at starting guard next season. Um, and then the only really big question for me is right tackle. Um, you know, that's their only really weak position to me, but in total off of just what I said, this is a much improved offensive line at running back. I'm really intrigued to see what they do this upcoming season because they don't have a feature back. And I think that's the way they're intending on it. Um, you know, Frank Gore left, went to, uh, back to his roots in Miami. Um, you know, Frank Wright came out of a Philadelphia system that did not have a feature back. They had Jay Ajayi, LeGarrette Blunt, uh, Corey Clement, Darren Sproles, even in the early parts of the season. And they used each of those guys in a specific different way, and it really flowed well in the offense that Philadelphia ran. Um, you know, you look at what the Colts have now. I guess, you know, if you're looking at the starter, it'll be Marlon Mack, who had a, you know, a decent rookie season, has definitely some high play potential. Um <clears throat> Definitely a guy that I think will have a, a big jump in year two, just given, you know, more carries, maybe a healthier season. But then you also have two rookies. Um, my favorite guy to watch on, if you are a fantasy football guy, Naeem Hines. Um, and this is a guy that I fell in love with back of the draft process. I actually had him ranked, I believe, in my top seven of running backs in the draft. He slipped a lot lower than that. Um, it was a solid pickup for the Colts. If you're a fantasy guy, get this guy. You know, it's, he's kind of going to be... <clears throat> you know, your Darren Sproles um, that you, you know, would have seen in Philadelphia last year, but he could, he has that value. Um, he could be, you know, the, the breakout star that, you know, even Alvin Kamara was last year. Um, and then you also have to take a look at their other rookie, Jordan Wilkins, who I provide, you know, really could be that power back, has rotational value along those guys. To me, I believe that moving away from Frank Gore as a, as a feature running back, having three guys that can do three separate things, who can also, you know, complement each other, be both on the field at the same time, um, is an upgrade at the running back position. And then last stop, the wide receivers. 
Of course, you have all-pro talent T.Y. Hilton, uh, number 13, who actually is coming off his first season uh, with under 1,000 receiving yards since 2012. Um, to me, that's not a, a sign of him getting worse. Of course, it was, you know, he didn't have Andrew Luck throwing to him at all. And, um, you know, no knock on Jacoby Brissett. But, you know, I believe that the connection will resume between Luck and T.Y. Hilton. And he'll be in the better, you know, top tier of wide receivers next year in that top uh, 10 category. Um, the Colts did move on from Dante Moncrief and Kamar Aiken. Uh, neither of those guys, to me, were huge losses. I know I said I like the pickup for the Jags, but in Indianapolis, Moncrief needed, you know, a fresh start. He had an up-and-down year, couldn't stay healthy sometimes. And then they went out in free agency and added Ryan Grant and tight end Eric Ebron, both guys who are young talents um, that have potential but haven't broken out yet. You know, Ebron was a former first-round pick. Ryan Grant spent some time in uh, Washington. Both, I believe, really have a chance to, um, you know, they haven't really hit that stride to be, you know, taking the next step in the NFL. I definitely believe with Andrew Luck at quarterback, anyone can make that kind of jump. And I, you know, would expect, you know, a better season for those guys than they've had previously. Um, that, you know, you also have to, you know, you can't forget about Jack Doyle, who I think at tight end has slept on a little at times, but is, you know, in the top half of tight ends in the league. He's a big-bodied guy, a willing blocker. He does a lot for that offense, has a great connection with Luck. Um, the passing offense for Indianapolis will probably be one of the better we've seen in the last few years, given this new offense of this fresh start on offense. Um, the offense as a whole will be the, you know, the unit that leads this team to whatever victories that they earn. You know, with all that being said, and a lot of this can change depending on how healthy Andrew Luck comes back. But today, July 20th, I am saying that the Colts will improve on from their, you know, four and 12 season to about a seven and nine record. Now, whether, you know, I don't know what place that is going to be in the division. Like I said, I picked the Jags to win it at nine and seven. Um, you, we could have a team at eight and eight. We could have a team at seven and nine and the Colts, you know, maybe are looking at third or third or last in the division. I just think it's going to be that competitive this year, but I definitely think that the Colts are at least two to three wins better than they were last year. Um, and, you know, if Andrew Locke comes back and he is showing that he can carry this team like he carried these, you know, bad Colts teams a few years ago, there is potential that we could see the Colts in the playoffs next year, and I would not be surprised. And that is an unbiased opinion. I am a fan of the Colts, but I know the talent that Andrew Luck possesses and how he can bring wins to a team that has lackluster talent on defense and the offensive line. Um, he could do it again. I believe the offensive line is the best that he's had in years. So, you know... I'm saying that they get to a 7-9 record, close to 500, but I would not be surprised if they make a push for a wild card spot or even the division towards the end of this upcoming season. So with all that being said, we're going to bring back in this music. That will uh, bring us to the conclusion of this episode of the Blake Pace Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it. Um, certainly, you know, we're getting towards training camp, getting towards the preseason. Things are just about to heat up, and so are we. Um, you know, make sure to follow me on Twitter at BlakeAndrewPace. You can, you know... Send me some questions, DM me. Let's talk about the NFL. I'd love to have an open conversation with all of you. Um, you know, keep checking out the Blake Pace podcast. If you're an NBA fan, go over and listen to the, our NBA episodes. Um, we will be back next week with another episode of the Blake Pace podcast. I hope you all have an amazing weekend. Kick back, relax, open up a cold one with the boys. We will talk to you soon. Peace out. <laughs>